to Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Cam McCachron, and I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Nick Richard and Keith Whipple. And gentlemen, before we talk about another Hart Trophy resume padding outing by uh, Austin Matthews or another subpar goaltending performance, uh, I wanted to talk about the pregame ceremony uh, quickly from the Leafs Kraken game because the only reaction I, I ever have to pregame ceremonies is like hurry up and drop the puck already. <laughs> but man, I, I was legitimately moved um, watching. You know Wayne Simmons getting to celebrate his 1,000th game. I, I just really love that we've kind of gotten this period of, of Wayne Simmons on the Leafs. Um, it was awesome to see him skating in that thousandth game on Saturday, and and then to to see him celebrate with his family was was even cooler. It was just a, a really nice moment, and um, you know it's been an up and down like year, two years for the Leafs, but uh, man, really glad that we've gotten this this time with Wayne Simmons. Yeah, he was a player I, I think that everybody always loved watching. You know, back with Philly, and just a, a guy that you know. There's there's few guys around the league that you can always look at that are like that combination of, you know, I think what we all like in a hockey player, like a, a kind of a hard nosed guy that can score and still you know still play the game and and kind of instill some fear in the opponent and stuff like that, just like a throwback player. And I think all throughout his his kind of peak in Philly, he was just always a guy that you just desperately wanted to be on the Leafs. So, you know, we might not have twenty you know fourteen. Wayne Simmons, but it's it's awesome having him nonetheless. Yeah, I just kind of echo that sentiment. I think it's kind of similar to the Spezza thing for me, where like I, I was really glad when Spezza resigned the second time around. Never mind still having him around now. Just that it wasn't kind of like a one year flash in the pan thing. It, it really mm-hmm. feels like Spezza and now Simmons have really integrated themselves as as you know really important members of this team and the locker room. And it, yeah, it's just it, really cool to see Simmons reach that milestone and, and be recognized appropriately for it. Like, there's probably not too many guys in the history of the game who have a harder thousand games under their belt than that guy. Like, it, he's done it the hard mm-hmm. way. He's done everything the right way. And yeah, the ceremony itself was awesome. Uh, seeing Dubas hand the little mini silver sticks to Simmons' daughters was probably my favorite moment from the whole thing. But yeah, just really nice to have him in Toronto playing for his hometown team again. And yeah, just great to see him get that honor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on to the game, which was, you know, another one that was, wasn't without its struggles, but uh, it was with, you know, it's, it's Austin Matthews absolute <laughs> domination, which has basically been the standard uh, for the last, I mean, this whole season, essentially. A hat trick, and um, I, I mean, like, at, at this rate, he might have 50 by the time we record again, right? Like that that's on <laughs> yeah, the table, absolutely. is it not? Yeah, it's absolutely on the table. Like every time that this guy's out on the ice, he, he's he's just on a completely different level now. Like Matthews has been one of the best players in the game pretty much ever since he entered the league. But I think this is the first year that you can legitimately have the conversation that at this moment in time, he is the best hockey player in the world. Like just everything that he does and everything that he brings to the table for this team, it's more than just the goal scoring, which he just so happens to be the very best at. Like He's scored more goals than anyone in the NHL since he's entered the league, and he's played fewer games than every name in the top 10 behind him. So it, it, it's just... It, it, I'm running out of uh, superlatives to describe the way that this guy plays the game. Like, And he's just on another level right now, really taking it over. It's... It, I know we saw it last year, but it's hard to imagine this guy getting shut down at any point, playoffs or otherwise, right now with the way he's playing. And, and not just him, but the the line as a whole with Mariner and Bunting, the way that they've complimented him and found a way to work together to create offense and just dominate shift after shift after shift. It, it's really been remarkable. Yeah, I think like... You're you're right, and that it, you know it's it, the goal, what he's doing goal scoring wise is incredible, and and it's what it, but he's he's scoring goals at pretty much the same pace that he he was at last year, um, and that's not to discount that like both years have been insane, but if you look at everything else that he's taken to the next step, I mean it's it's unbelievable like when when he's chasing somebody down now whether it's in the neutral zone in the, in the attacking zone even or in the defensive zone, if he has them anywhere's within a step, it's 
almost automatic it's that his he's, puck. Take, he's taking that puck. Like it's it's I've never watched a player like that in my life. Like on on the Leafs, like I've never. Well, there's not too many players like that in general. Like and not just now, but in recent memory. Like it, it, it literally is what you're saying. When he gets around an opposing player that has the puck, it's his. Yeah, and it's crazy too because I I don't like. I don't, I'm not a hockey encyclopedia history guy, but like how many guys can you honestly say in history, I mean, are going to lead the league in goals, probably win the heart and could also win the Selkie. Like, I don't think he's going to, because I think that like, there's like that archetype of player that gets pigeonholed into winning the Selkie. And it's typically not a guy who scores close to 60 and goals. doesn't kill penalties. But that'll be it, the biggest thing that holds him back. That's the big thing that'll, yeah, that's a good point too. But it's just, if you're just looking at five on five defensive play, I struggle to find somebody that is as impactful as he is on that side of the puck. Well, he's too. already received down ballot Selkie votes in his career. Like he's, there's a good chance he finishes in the top 10 of voting for that award this year. And that's without killing penalties. So like, he, he yeah. is finally being recognized. This isn't something that just happened all of a sudden. Like there's been notable progress in his play away from the puck with each passing yeah. season, but it, like it is on another level this year and he's finally getting recognized for that part of his game. And yeah, he's, there's nothing else to really say other than he's in that conversation as the best player in the world right now. I mean, I think it says a lot about a guy when he's got 43 goals in 54 games. He's four points off of the uh, NHL scoring lead as we record this. And you could possibly make the argument that some of the biggest impact he's had, some of the most impressive plays he's made, he's made have been below his own goal line. Like, like yeah. he is yeah. a machine when it comes to just turning pucks over and, and getting the the breakout started and, and the puck turned back up the right way. Um, man, he, he's... And stopping other teams on the breakout. Like, how many times do we see either him or Marner and now even bunting, like just clogging up that top part of the zone and breaking up attempted breakout passes to create quick change opportunities. Like, like they're just dominant, dominant, dominant. Yeah, their high cycle is insane to watch. Yeah, it's um, like it's been an incredible heater of late, obviously. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's been the whole season. The guy is just a threat to score every time he's on the ice. Um, well, well, you know what, Cam? I'll push back on that because it hasn't been the whole season. He missed the first three games and didn't really get going for another couple weeks. He almost gave the rest of the league a month head start, and he's still doing this. Yeah, it's basically since that Chicago game. But it, but it hasn't slowed, right? Like, it's just been... No. It, like, there's been no lull. <laughs> if anything, it's been the opposite. Like, like, yeah, yeah, once it, once <laughs> he got the momentum, it, it was a runaway train, and it has been ever since. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's been... It's a fucking treat to watch every night, man. Like, I, I just... That, that's the biggest thing. It, it, like, we cannot be taking this for granted no matter what happens like even if it's a nightmare ending again and they don't find any playoff success like this is not normal for any franchise like any player for any franchise like we really have to be savoring what we're witnessing right now between matthews and murder yeah i can't imagine how spoiled i would have gotten on this if i had this shit when i was 15 oh man you know like this is I am savoring every moment of this right now. And and I, you know, I, I understand why, why people are um, taking the attitude of do it in the playoffs. But like you got to enjoy something other yeah. than like a two week stretch. And that's all it's been for the last few years is a two week stretch and nothing more than that. Like you can't be saving yourself up for the two week stretch every year and just hoping that this is the year it gets done and not enjoying the rest. Man, this is special, special stuff we're getting to watch every night. Yeah. And the way that this line is playing like it. It's. I know the caveat of everything that happened last year with Matthews and Mariner and all that, and even prior series. But like this line playing the way that they have been for what two months or more now, like they can carry this team to a, a playoff series victory themselves right now because they've been carrying this team to victories practically by themselves for the last couple months. Well, that's that's kind of the the thing that has been entering my mind watching the games lately is. Even whoever they match up against, if that that team invests all of their resources into shutting this line down, I don't think it's going. Like I don't think they can. Like I, if they if they play the way they're playing right now in the first round, and it, it's just Operation Shutdown, Matthews and Mariner and Bunting. Like there's they, they I don't think it's humanly possible right now for them to not 
have the ability to still win a game single-handedly. Like, I just don't see how anybody's slowing these, this guy down and Matthews in particular. And then, or, or, you know, and then basically punting the other three lines, which, you know, we can talk about that too, because they haven't necessarily always been that great, but I don't know. It just doesn't feel like there's, we're going to see a situation where, you know, these guys get out of a seven game series without, eight points or something like that we're 10 minutes in and we're really providing some some spectacular future audio for when the Leafs inevitably lose in the yeah. first round again <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah, so be it <sighs> but it almost adds some importance to like the whole idea of pushing for home ice advantage because you can picture a world where you know on the road against florida or even tampa like it, the, the Panthers be able to control that matchup and get Barkov out there against Matthews. You know that that Barkov's a pretty damn good player in his own right. So it, you know, like that kind of matchup could present some difficulties for Matthews and Mariner and Bunting. But when they're on home ice and the uh, the opposing team is chasing that matchup, like they're going to feast. And I just don't see how it's not going to be that way. Like even playing against a, a, a high end defensive center like Barkov or even a Anthony Sorelli in Tampa. Or, or God forbid, Patrice Bergeron in Boston. Like, as nah, uh, bring that bring that matchup on at this point. That's that's who that's who a, I want. As otherworldly as Bergeron is, and he might be even having like the best season of his career at what 35, 36 years old right now. Like the, the, the way that Matthews is controlling these games, and and I I hate to keep putting the emphasis. Of, uh, sorry, I hate to keep putting the emphasis solely on Matthews because it, Mariner and Bunting have been key contributors to his success as well but it's just a, a totally different level with, with him I, I really don't know what else to say yeah um as i mentioned 43 goals in 54 games uh six in his last three and um 75 points now uh, just off the the scoring lead um I, I like i don't know what your margin would be if you'd bet 20 bucks on Matthews to score every game this season, but I am very tempted to find out the rest of the way. (laughs) I'm basically picking him for two a night almost every time out now. Also feeling pretty good about getting uh, Matthews at plus 750 for the heart a couple of weeks ago. You're not going to find those odds anymore, people. (laughs) No, that ship has long since sailed. Um, (laughs) Yeah, another stellar night for for Matthews. what do we think so far of the Nick Robertson project? Because he has um, really provided, I, I think, some nice looks at times. I feel like it's kind of been an up and down uh, thing, but you know, it's 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 early. Um, he's kind of finding his his way on that second line with with Tavares and, and Nylander. Um I mean, a lot of times it feels like he's he's the one who looks the best out of the three, right? Yeah, well, that's probably not all that difficult with the way that those two have been playing as of late, particularly Nylander, which uh, we'll probably get to a little bit later on. But I've really liked Robertson on that line for the most part. I think, as you said, there's going to be some bumps in the road. It's important to remember that it it feels like he's been around for a bit, right? But Nick Robertson's still just 20 years old. And with injuries and everything in the last couple of seasons, he's played like a total of 40-some games between the AHL and NHL. So there's been a lot of mitigating factors on his development path. But I I think that there's been an obvious spark to that line with him there that as well as Kerfoot has played this season, he just can't provide. Um, I I think there's far more high-end offensive skill and vision. Um, The shot's not even a question. Robertson's probably got the best shot on this team of anyone not named Austin. Uh, it's it's interesting because there's a lot of people th- that kind of see this as him being showcased for a trade, but I think that it's more likely this showcase is for Sheldon Keefe himself just to kind of see what Robertson can provide to this team right now as they kind of look ahead to the trade deadline and try to assess where their greatest needs are or, or just how much they might want to invest in adding another top six forward. I, I don't think that they're penciling him in for this kind of role in the playoffs by any means, but it, it is kind of a research and development mission right now. You, you've got to see what you've got with this guy. And I, I think that the difference we've seen between what he was able to do on the fourth line and what he's done in a, a limited stint up on that second line kind of speaks to the fact that it, he's a guy that you, you might not see the best of him with AHL competition and AHL teammates or fourth line competition and fourth line teammates. 
whereas his skill kind of lends itself more to, to playing with more talented players, not only just for them to be able to provide looks to him, but I, I think we've seen him unlock a bit more playmaking in this recent stint too. So he, he needs some guys that are going to be able to finish the chances and chaos that he creates with his passing and his shot. Cause frankly, it, we saw it in the Seattle game, just that one shot off the left flank on the power play. It's so heavy. The, the opposing goaltender, it, it's a difficult shot to handle, especially with any kind of traffic in front. I, I just think he's got potential to be a bit of an X factor, at least more so than Alex Kerfoot. Yeah, and, and I think a couple of things he said there were, were, was where I was going to head, which is one, one is I think you're just going to get more out of him playing him up the lineup. Doesn't really s- seem like a guy whose skill sets, you know, lends well to being an impact player when, when he's playing with, with the, the guy, you know, the players that he was with. I still think he was fine on the fourth line, but as soon as he got up onto the second line, he was noticeable every night. He's, he's, he causes chaos. Like he just, he's quick. His shot just seems to, like you said, kind of handcuff the goalie several times. And then obviously the goal that he scored against Vancouver. Yeah. But um, I, I also think that it's going to be very easy for Keith to go back to Kerfoot at kind of any sign of this not working. Like, I don't think he's got a ton of leash, but I think what it's probably going to look like or what, what they're envisioning slash hoping, I guess, is that he shows enough that they don't need to go out and get a top six forward for next year. Yeah. Like, I don't think anything's going to happen this year. I think they're probably content knowing they have Kerfoot as a plan B. But if you can go into next season with your top two left wingers making $1.8 million combined on a team that's as top heavy as a Leafs like that, that's so valuable. And that's the biggest reason why I wouldn't want to trade him. And I mean, it's not, I'm not a, like, I don't know. I, I, he's not a guy that I view as like untouchable in terms of, you know, his development and his skill set and just like a player that I'm super high on or anything. It's more just the fact that this team needs ELC production and we haven't had it in a while and he he seems like the guy that's going to bring it or be the closest to bringing it considering where he's at his age his development what he's shown to date kind of thing so i think that we've talked about this offline but like his his trade value isn't as high as his value to the organization right now assuming this next 20 30 game window looks good yeah i I think that's right i think that um he he's a guy that is always looking to make a play, right? And I feel like this this latest stint, like you can see that the the speed agrees with him a little better. Um, he's he's always more trying to, too, right? Yeah, he's always trying to make something happen. Uh, there have been a couple of plays that have been you know a little risky. Um, obviously, like he got caught on that turnover at the blue line, but like I don't think that he makes that that play on the defensive side last year. Like, I don't think he's able to keep up because he's more of a shifty guy, right? He's not a flat out speed guy. And right. I, I find that he, he's been fitting in a little bit better on the uh, on kind of the pace of the game front um, this this stint. And uh, yeah, just just looking to make plays. I've really liked him. I, I think that um, he, he's a guy that you're going to hope can kind of chip in a couple goals in the playoffs, right? Like, you know, we talked about the same thing the last couple of seasons, really. Like he, he's a guy who, um, you know, like you said, is is he he can play on those fourth lines. He can play with energy, but he's going to be better when he is with guys who are looking to create, looking to make plays because that's kind of his mindset. And uh, yeah, I think he's, he's got the talent to, to finish and you know, that's ultimately what you're going to need. We talked about Matthews and obviously all of the focus is going to be on shutting him down. Um, going to lengthen the lineup a little bit. Yeah. However successful you're going to be with that, you know, it's going to be a very helpful for the Leafs to have a little bit of um, a little bit more ability kind of on, on those lower lines and, and uh, yeah I, I've loved them so far and also there's something to be said too like I know it's insane for a team that's cap strapped to have a 3.5 million dollar fourth line player but since Kerfoot's gone down on the fourth line too I've noticed that line you know with a bit more sustained offensive zone time too like he seems to be helping out getting a little bit more out of Simmons and Spezza it's not optimal but I guess like you said if you have if you have super cheap left wingers in the top six you can probably swing a 3.5 million dollar fourth line player but not not long term but for what they've got this year i i kind of didn't mind kerfoot down with spets and simmons and it probably allows that line to get a little bit more ice time and take some of the pressure off the other guys too well that kind of leads me to my ultimate conclusion uh, on the current situation with robertson is that it, it seems rather obvious that the as well as kerfoot has played 
they're not content with him in that spot on the left wing on the second line. They're they're clearly investigating, you know, other avenues for filling that spot, whether it be because of what you said, they want to add a little bit more to that fourth line, make them a more formidable option to trot out there in regular minutes, or they straight up don't think that Kerfoot provides enough in that spot on the second line. I just think it's, I think it's a look at it, look at it as, what are you going to get out of Robertson? What are you going to get out of Kerfoot? And with that surplus salary, how much better can you make your back end? Yeah, and that, and then, and then the overall kind of aggregate value of that, like, and, and that that has been. I think all of us have talked. We've tr- we've all traded Kerfoot fifteen times <laughs> yeah. since the beginning of the season, right? And, and that's the reason why. It's just it's just the cap allocation. It's I like Kerfoot. I don't. He's just the most obvious player that you know has never found a, a real solid role with the team for whatever reason, just didn't click as the third line center, just played well as a, as a second left winger, but ultimately leaves a bit, a bit to be desired. And I just think there, there that money could be spent somewhere that the team, I guess, needs a little bit more help. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, like you said, it's a luxury on your fourth line. Um, it's certainly not a plan you make. It's not something you go into the season planning no. to have, but um, I, I don't think it's the end of the world if you go into the playoffs and if you're not able to to swing a good deal for a D, um, you know, just keep Kerfoot down there. I'm not, you know, eager to move him out before the deadline or anything like that. I, I think that his versatility um, is really valuable. Like we've yeah. seen that. That, that that's it's almost been a blessing and a curse for him right like it, it's made it difficult for him to lock down one solid role on a kind of he, a permanent he's the first guy that gets shifted around every single time that someone needs to get shifted around basically yeah and, and there's value in that as much as it can be frustrating that he didn't ultimately fill the role that you may have intended for him when you traded for him there is still value in being able to kind of move that guy not only up and down the lineup but to Play multiple positions as well. So it was another uh, rather tough goaltending night. Um, I mean, I didn't think Jack was that bad against Seattle. But like, okay, but like we're 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 grading on a scale now here, aren't we? Because it's it's still a four goals against game. There were a couple goals that weren't great. So I mean, it's 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 more like it's you know he he wasn't a total tire fire. Basically, is we've entered into that we've entered into that zone we were at last year where. Freddie was letting in, you know, deflecting the, like the deflection goals and the like, wow, you can't, you can't blame Freddie for that one. And then eventually you hit a point where it's just like, we have to stop analyzing how these goals are going in. And at some point they're like, he can't let in four goals every game, whether or not they're deflected three times. Hey man, I've been beating the, just need a save drum as hard as anybody lately. But I think particularly that Seattle game, I thought that there was some positive signs at a Campbell, right? Like, I, of course, I, I think yeah. you, you'd like to have a save on the, the first goal or maybe even the fourth one. I don't think either of them were like egregiously soft goals on Campbell's part. And frankly, he had no hope in hell on on the other two goals. There, you know, you're talking about well, both cross crease passes, high back speed door, two right? on like, ones, and yeah. like talking about the deflection goals and stuff. We mentioned this the last episode. Like, it, it's been an absurd amount of them as of late. It just like even for the Leafs, it, it's been insanely bad fortune, right? Uh, I, I think that there's going to be a bit of regression in terms of that, but. Like when you're talking about the goaltending picture, like like the big picture with the Leafs goaltenders, I don't know, man. I I, I still have to be banking on Jack to find it. Uh, with the way that Mrazek has looked, like even Mrazek's best games don't inspire very much confidence, right? I I think like we've seen when Jack is on his game, he's a very calming presence back there, and he has the ability to make those game changing saves. It hasn't happened for him as of late, but if it's up to me and I've got to pick which guy that I'm going to be focused on trying to help him find it, Campbell's the obvious answer for me right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Like if, if, um, you know, if anything, we, we talked about this on the last episode a little bit, like if you were to make a move at goaltending, I think it's fairly obvious that, you know, it's it's a Mrazic swap for someone who you have a little more faith in maybe in the short term. But um, I, I think that your best bet is is obviously just getting Campbell going. And you've seen that from from the team, right? Like in the comments in the media, like they're they're trying to build them up here, like they're trying to get the confidence back up. And um, yeah, that's that's very clearly the best bet for Toronto right now, but it's just uh, just a little concerning. Just a little concerning. 
So Nick and I are dropping in here because we recorded Wednesday night. It's now Thursday afternoon and we have an update here. Uh, So instead of hearing us talk about who should start Thursday and who should start the outdoor game, uh, we're just going to go ahead and tell you that it's going to be Peter Morazic. The (laughs) Leafs announced this morning that Jack Campbell's out at least two weeks with a rib injury that started bothering him last week. And Nick, um, his struggles obviously predate the injury, but I I know you will join me in pointing at this as the reason why he's been unable to find his form of late. Yeah, well, I think that's the optimistic take, right? Um, Keith did say that it's something that kind of popped up just a little about a week ago or a little more than that. Uh, and, and he just aggravated it Tuesday night against Seattle. So it, it is hard, or it, it's it's not so easy to place all of his struggles on the injury. But hopefully he's able to kind of use this time off to reset and, and come back to full health and hopefully kind of return to the form that we saw earlier in the season. Uh, Eric Schalgren is up with the Leafs right now. Um, we'll see whether he sees any action. The next back-to-back isn't until the 26th and 27th. So uh, a little bit of time for Campbell to possibly get back, uh, but that'll be kind of cutting it close on that two-week timeline. So we'll see what happens there. Um, kind of interesting that, that they gave the call to Schalgren, given that you know Joseph Wall kind of looked pretty solid in his first stint with the team earlier this season but I think Wall has kind of been dealing with some injuries in recent weeks himself so maybe the club just kind of wants him to get a steady run of playing time with the Marlies rather than riding the pine behind Mrazek but that said Schalgren's you know he's as deserving of a look as Wall is at this point I I think so it'll be interesting to see if he gets in there at all yeah and you know you could see them shuffle too right maybe Schalgren will get one and then they'll throw him back down and there could be time for that and a lot of it will probably have to do with how well or how poorly Mrazek plays with this opportunity because he is going to be given the net uh, given a chance to run with it and it yeah, it'll probably come down to that, whether we see Schalgren or, or Wall get in there. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Like the, the the section you will no longer hear, you know, we kind of said, you know, this the signing's kind of been a bust and now this is a chance for, for Mrazic to prove otherwise, right? So um, it'll be an inter- interesting couple of weeks, kind of a, a little wrinkle for the Leafs here the next little while. And uh, another interesting thing that we wanted to just kind of touch on before we get back into the rest of our uh, episode, um, the Leafs did juggle some lines heading into to tonight's matchup with Arizona. Uh, the top line remains intact, of course, but uh, Nylander moved off of the uh, Tavares line. Robertson stays on the left wing. Kasha now there on the second line. Uh, then it's Nylander, Kerfoot, and Simmons, uh, Mikheyev, Kampf, and Engvall on the fourth line. Um, what was your immediate reaction to, to that shuffle, Nick? Uh, initially, I kind of uh, like the the look that Keith put out there at, at the skate today. I alluded to it earlier. Nylander hasn't really been himself lately. Looks a little bit disengaged. Just really hasn't been playing up to his standard. You could say the same for Tavares. So when you put those two together on a line, it, it just hasn't been working as of late. So you kind of lengthen your lineup out a little bit here by bumping Nylander down. Uh, you just kind of hope that th- this new mix kind of adds a jolt to the group. Um, I'm more curious about the, the decision to scratch Spezza for the second straight game. You can understand it going into the second half of a back-to-back older player. You know, you try to get him a little bit of time off, rest those legs and stuff. Um, I guess he will be back in for the outdoor game on Sunday, but still kind of notable that he's the one to come out of the lineup here. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, obviously he'll be, he'll be back in. Sorry, Pierre Engvall, I assume who will, will probably take a seat for that one. But, um, yeah, I, I like the, the, the shakeup as well. Like, you know, we had said that, uh, Robertson, it looked really good. I thought, uh, on that line, um, and the other two guys were kind of struggling and now you split those two, which I think, yeah, has been coming for a little while. And, and hopefully it's kind of a kick in the arse for Nylander, um, you know, get him going on the third line, give him his own line to, to kind of work with. And, and yeah, like this looks like a, a lineup that hopefully can dominate possession. Like anytime anyone's on the ice, right. There's, there's no real, uh, no real soft spot there. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how these roll out. Um, how many for Matthews tonight before we before we go, Nicholas? Uh, like I told you, boys, I've been kind of slapping down uh, a few bucks on Matthews to score two plus every night. <laughs> I'll probably do the same again tonight, going up against his old squad or his hometown squad. Uh, sorry, I just got to get my daughter a snack here. I'll get back to talking <laughs> about Matthews in a second. <laughs> 
uh, the joys of fatherhood. Um, yeah, I've, I've, it's hard to imagine Matthews going a game without scoring right now. He's got, what, 36 in his last 37? I've, I've probably slapped down a couple bucks on him getting a couple more tonight. What about you? It's it's Arizona. The Melka absolutely shut them down last time. I'm feeling naughty. I'm feeling four, Nick. Oof. I'm saying Four. I might sprinkle a little dollar bet on a four-plus goal game tonight and just ride it. Can you imagine how much steam that'll add to the like his case for the Hart Trophy has you know just been rapidly gaining steam in the last couple of weeks. If he goes out and puts up a four <laughs> spot again tonight after what uh, six in his last three games, oh, dear lord. Yeah, but it, it's <laughs> it's not impossible. No, no, it's very much within the realm of possibility. Is the crazy thing? Yeah, he could have two in his first three shifts, and then I am giddy the rest of the night. He's hitting them with the four, Nick. <laughs> you go and get those snacks ready and enjoy the rest of our episode. <laughs> Cheers, bud. Okay, so kind of getting back away from the goalies and getting back to the, the the first line and how dominant they've been, and maybe the lack of scoring from the other lines. Like, I I think that it's become a little more clear in recent games that this slump from the second line, I'm I'm starting to feel like it, it had even more to do with Nylander than it had to do with Tavares. And that's not how I felt initially. Um, I, I've, I've been really unimpressed with Nylander the last couple of weeks. He's just making so many poor decisions with the puck. He doesn't look engaged like he has been early on in the season. Just wondering if, if you guys are kind of seeing the same thing there or if I'm being a little too hard on him. I, it's, I, I'm a huge Nylander guy. Like, I don't, I don't want to get caught on the wrong side of the Nylander wars here. But <laughs> he's... <laughs> It just has not been nearly good enough with him lately. It's kind of funny. I had the thought last night. He made that brutal turnover uh, for the shorthanded goal against. Or he just he put Morgan Riley in a terrible spot with that flip pass back to the point. It, it almost seemed like he was back in the game a little bit after that. And I've noticed that a few times with Willie. Like there, there's no secret that he goes through lulls here and there. He has his ups and downs. But it almost seems like he has to hit like a rock bottom of sorts like to to start turning it around and, and it almost felt like that was his rock bottom last night because his legs were kind of going after that felt like he had to redeem himself or something like he said himself in the past that he's the kind of player that needs a kick in the ass sometimes uh I, i'm just wondering yeah. what you guys have been seeing from him in particular on that line and, and if you think that he, he does need that kick in the ass right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that I guess I would just say that he's he's in a lull. Like we talked about how Matthews has not had a single lull this season since he got going. And Nylander's just not that player. He's never going to be that player, right? He's, he's always yeah. going to be a guy who is going to have stretches where he kind of goes through it. And uh, he's, he's clearly in it right now. I think his lulls are probably more frustrating than uh, like most other players though just because of the style of game he plays right like when he's not on he's really really not on yeah and and because when he is on he's he's the best player on the ice so it's noticeable when he's not on right so i I mean i think you know i I think i'd mostly agree with you like he's He's not been as noticeable. Um, you'd like to see him take over a game, you know, every... Well, we've seen him take over in last year's playoffs. We've seen it through the first couple months of this season, right? Like, we know what he's capable of, and I think that's probably, you know, the, the biggest source of my frustration with the way that he's played lately. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. I think that normally once... When you see... That's a really good way to put it, the rock bottom for him. Like, when you see him do something as dumb as that turnover you typically see him come out and kind of be a bit of a world beater for the next little bit. And, and even in, in, not just within a game, like stretches like this, like, you know, if Keith has not shied away from calling him out in the media before. And I, I think obviously, you know, knowing his teammate or knowing his, his players that, that he knows that's going to, you know, get a response out of him. But Nylander has faced so much unfair criticism throughout his time, uh, you know, with the Leaser in the league that, you almost feel like you can't criticize him. Yeah. And that's not right either, right? Like he you need to be like he hasn't been good lately. On the whole, has he been good this year? Yeah, he has like fifty two points or something in, in, in fifty six or seven games. Like he's gonna finish with seventy something points. That's incredible value for a six point nine million dollar player. Like that's very good. But are there going to be points in the season with him? I think we just have to know that going in. Like he's going to have some ups and downs, like every other player, especially at his price point. He's not being paid to be Austin Matthews or, or Mitch Mariner. 
that's an important thing he too i mean you know it's if you look around the league at the guys that make the money that he makes you're going to pick nylander over them almost all the time except for some of the insane contracts that are you know signed before guys broke out and all that kind of stuff yeah and i mean i think that um you know keith has kind of responded in kind right like it's it's been um looking at his ice time like he's he's down the last you know month or so especially like february he was he was down like two and a half minutes basically from uh from january so doesn't seem to be getting those penalty killing minutes that he was getting earlier in the season either i wonder if there's any correlation there or if it's more causation it's it's an interesting thing because as you said cam when he's on he looks like the best player on the ice more often than not, but it just it, that has not been the case for a few weeks now. Yeah, and I think that this is the time you hope for it. Like you said, you hope that, you know, if this is kind of the thing that turns the tide, a goal and assist Tuesday against Seattle and, and you know, kind of a couple of tough moments. And if, if that's what it takes to kind of re-engage him the rest of the way here, this is the time to do it, right? Like it's, um, you know, I, all of my like uh, knowledge of like advanced stats and, and all that stuff was acquired like 10 years ago. Um, I, you know, I, I haven't, uh, brushed up in a while, but I do remember that you have to be rolling in the last like 20 games of the season going to the playoffs. Those are always the teams that do the best. Like the, the Kings in 2012 was an example again, 10 years ago. That's the last time I refreshed myself on, <laughs> on advanced stats, but um, you know, it's 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 a point now where the Leafs are sitting with 25 games to go. Uh, we touched on it on our last episode that this was kind of a soft stretch of the schedule. And, and you know, you probably haven't quite performed, um, you know, the way you'd like to. Obviously, you're scoring lots of goals, which is good. Um, but, you know, I, I do think there is a little something to kind of the defensive play. Like it's it has been poor goaltending. I know that that is the, the main and far away number one problem. But um, it's been a lot of tips. And sometimes that's a luck thing. Like, you know, uh, a tip, it's, it's a half an inch from going wide and you know instead it ends up in the back of your net but like it feels like the Leafs are doing a bit of a poorer job of defending the front of their net and guys are kind of figuring out like um you know the the way to to beat these guys is to try to kind of go down low and then come back up high and and you know try to lose yourself in the coverage and you know these guys aren't really big enough or or you know they're not going to man up on you in the in the slot and and take away your stick quick enough and and that seems like that's how you know a lot of this has been going so there are a few things i think to tighten up defensively even though i think the Leafs have been a fantastic defensive team for the most part this season so like this is the time to to get things kind of squared way here with 25 games to go part of the reason why i haven't been massively you know hitting the panic button with some of these outings lately like you know the the buffalo game and and the montreal game and all that stuff it's just if there's going to be a point in the season that you're going to struggle i mean i think they played an insane amount of games lately in a short period of time you're you know you're you're like you said you're coming up on that window when you really want to you know get red hot this is the time to, uh, to to maybe falter a little bit and, and get your shit together, um, because yeah, if this was happening with with you know five ten games left in the season, it would be a lot more concerning. But all all said, I mean, I still think that despite the outcomes lately that haven't been that great, a couple of games removed, like they've played all right. They they've gotten a ton of chances. There's been a few breakdowns that ultimately every time something happens, it's in the back of the net, and that can't happen either. But I don't know. It just seems like a, a time where you might be able to, to pallet a bit of a, a rough a rough stretch. Yeah, it, it, I kind of wanted to make the point. You guys are talking about the high danger chances and the luck element and things like that. It, it's it kind of bothers me when people constantly refer to like the high danger chances against and stuff because they aren't all created equal. And yeah, maybe the Leafs do a, a great job of suppressing those chances for the most part, but it, it, it seems like. Usually when there is a breakdown, it's so egregious. It's like the Jake Gardner syndrome. Like 90% of the time, he's he's fine or, or better than fine. But when he's not, it's it's almost always an error that leads directly to a goal against, right? So I, I think that the Leafs defenders can definitely do more to be helping out their goaltenders. I think we've seen a little bit more of that in the last couple of games, especially like in terms of clearing bodies out front and things like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, you also made a good point on the schedule, Keith. I think like 
every team is getting run down right now. The, the schedule. There's uh, some wild shit happening. Yeah, man. Too. Like goal totals are up everywhere. I, I think that we're starting to see this uh, compressed schedule start to wear. The Coyotes up. just scored like 12% of their goals in two games. Yeah, I, I heard Myrtle <laughs> chop that stat out. Of the, that was hilarious. Like, that's almost unfathomable. But yeah, like that's the Nick kind Schmaltz of, has become a god. Hell yeah, he has. He's on my fantasy team too. But it, it just kind of speaks to the, like, as Keith is saying, like the compressed schedule, it's, it's kind of wearing teams down. It, it, wacky stuff is happening. Um, it, it's league wide. It's it's not just the Leafs. Uh, it kind of feels like it's disproportionately affecting them right now. Um, but it it's got to turn around at some point. We know what Campbell's capable of. We know what defensemen like TJ Brody and Morgan Riley are, are capable of. It, they're better than this. All of them. that's why with these these, these weird deflection goals. You know, I've had this kind of internal dialogue where it's like, at what point is this a cluster of bad luck? And at what point is this like something that other teams have realized is a weakness of theirs and it's a trend and it's going to continue? I mean, you can tell teams are trying to do it. Like I've seen countless times where it's like they're opting to just float pucks from the point when you don't really feel like that would otherwise be done. And it's because they've, they've, they watch tape too. They know what's going on. So it's like, at at what point is that going to smooth out? And I I, I do uh, like tend to think that it's, you know, something that's going to, like you said earlier, regress a little bit. But I do think that it's been a wake-up call that, that that's something that they're going to have to work on. But I don't think that that's going to plague them the rest of the year where we're going to see three deflection goals every single night. At some point, this is going to calm down. Yeah, I mean, the path out of it seems pretty clear, right? Slap the absolute piss out of the Sabres in the outdoor <laughs> game. And then you've got Dallas, mm-hmm. you've got Carolina, a uh, couple of tough teams, and then you just keep her rolling. That's, that's what's got to happen. Yeah, here. but they play their best against those teams. They play always their best games against these good teams. It's 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 when they have to go play shit teams that they just don't seem to show up. Well, the good news is you don't have many of them down the stretch. Haven't even played the Panthers yet. <laughs> hey, like I, I've been meaning no. to mention that Haven't for the last. The Panthers those like, are going to be. Those are going to be so good. I can't wait for those. I, I've been meaning to mention that for the last several podcasts, and, and we could go a few more before I'd have to mention it. March twenty seventh is the first time they they face the Panthers. This season. what it'll be like. Will it be like? What two? two uh, it'll be I've two lost all sense and of time. two, and then two and change. I don't know when they face them in nineteen twenty. I can check really quick, but um. it, it's been. Oh, I was thinking about like the game against the Capitals uh, last week. It was like, man, when's the last time that we saw the Capitals? And it, it had been over an entire season and more than that. It's it's just kind of it's a strange thing to have gone that long without playing against some of these teams. It's going to be really interesting to see the Leafs get to test themselves against the class of the division right now. Like Florida's ridiculously good. I think all of us kind of like we gave them some props at the beginning of the season in our kind of preview episode, but I don't think any of us expected them to be as dominant as they've been. It'll be two years and a month um, between games. Uh, February 27th, 2020 was the last meeting. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, up until two weeks ago, I've still been waiting for them to, to cool off and come back down to earth. But oh, they're I, good. I mean, I've obviously resolved to the fact that that's not happening. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> but like, even looking at, at the Panthers, like, are you really a whole lot more confident in their goaltending setup oh, than, no. No. As, as, than what we've got? Like, Sergei Bobrovsky's been known to disappear for stretches of time. It's That's just the nature of the position, I think. Um, we're really seeing the Leafs tandem go through it for an extended period right now. I, I just I, I fully believe that Jack Campbell's going to come out of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that ship has sailed yet. Like, you're, you're not too, too far behind them, but it would be really nice to have home ice against Florida. Uh, they've well, that's played, what's frustrating about this recent stretch, right? Like, a lot of winnable games that they're letting slip away. Yeah, they've played 26 on the road, uh, 14 wins. So, different team when they're on the road versus at home. Um, but, yeah, um, wanted to talk about some extension stuff there specifically i wanted to talk about like some some um you know deals that the leafs should be looking to get done soon but first we go to the um department of things i didn't think i'd be talking about which is mid-season extensions for kyle clifford and carl dahlstrom who got uh (laughs) contracts on tuesday kyle clifford a two-year contract extension um 
I, I think that maybe the, the biggest surprise for me from this press release, Kyle Clifford has played 10 games with the Leafs this season. I thought it was like two. <laughs> well, it's because he, he was invisible for eight of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, did, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. Um, is it safe to say that like he, he's probably you know, going to be mostly with the Marlies for this? I would say, I, I think that it's, it's kind of, you could do worse in, you know, a 14th or 15th forward to have around, especially a guy who kind of brings the physical elements that he can bring. Uh, I, I think with Clifford, it's probably a case of him kind of seeing the writing on the wall that his NHL days are probably numbered. And you, you talk to anyone in professional hockey, there, there isn't a, a rosier spot in the American Hockey League to land than with the Toronto Marlies. It's as close to an NHL operation as you're going to get at that level. Uh, Never mind the fact that Clifford's an Ontario boy. So I think that was probably the biggest thing. There's kind of a mutual interest there in the Leafs being able to have some veteran depth toughness that they can call upon if needed. And for Clifford, he gets to kind of finish out his pro hockey days close to home with a a top flight organization. Um, And Carl Dahlstrom, uh, I mean, I don't get the impression that he's anywhere close to an NHL lineup, much less with the Leafs, right? So, I mean, this is just a Marlies yeah. deal also. It seems like a, a, a reward for a guy who's been a good soldier with the Marlies, just giving nice. him another another year of a, a payday. Yeah, he, I don't he's think 27. He's I thought he was younger. Than yeah, he's, yeah, he's in no consideration for, uh, for cracking the NHL. It, <laughs> if I'm honest, I don't really enjoy watching him play at the American <laughs> League level. So... <laughs> um, so, so the extensions I wanted to talk about, specifically Michael Bunting, which you uh, should get done twelve oh one July first. Uh, we're all in agreement there, I think. One hundred percent. Yeah, I got more pushback on that on Twitter than I expected to. I, I think it, it comes down to like you're basically making the gamble of: Do you think that this is a flash in the pan from Michael Bunting, or do you think that? This is somewhere in the vicinity of the player that he actually is. And I'm quite confident, I don't know what it is, 50-whatever games into his Leafs tenure, I'm quite confident that this is the player that Michael Bunting is. Like he, he is so much more than I expected when he was brought in. I, you know, I was expecting a guy who was going to get into the greasy areas around the front of the net, bring a little bit of physicality and stuff on the forecheck. But it, like I totally underestimated his skill level, the way that he's able to pull off stuff like off the boards or around the net, just in small spaces. He, he's made a lot of good passes. He, he's been a contributing member of the best line in hockey, right? So for yeah. me, I think you know, it, it, it's all about price point. Um, and from Bunting's perspective, there's probably little reason for him to be willing to sign that early when he's got another year but i think if you dangle enough money in front of him it's it makes it a gamble for him too like can i do this again or is is this enough to entice me to to sign up long term at this number uh i'd definitely be investigating it if nothing else he's a guy that screams to me like low aav higher term because i think you know what you're gonna get out of him now at this point like every year like I, i don't think he's that big of a gamble like he said but also, I don't think, you know, he's a guy that you can go out and throw like a four or five million dollar no. cap hit at. Th- that's either. why so, like, you want to try and get started on it now, because you're, yeah, you're before you're, it becomes that you're betting that if he has another season, if you believe that Michael Bunting is going to have another season similar to the one that he's having right now, you're not going to get him for any less than Zach Hyman money Zach, next Zach year. Zach Hyman money. And because yeah, yeah, he'll be the same age. If you if you've identified Bunting as a player that you want to try and keep around, the best time to try and do that is as soon as fucking possible because I don't see him getting any cheaper next season. Well, uh, th- I guess I, I asked the question, would you give him the, the Hyman contract, not the one no. he just signed, but the but the previous one, which was the, the one that the Leafs signed him to, the 4 four by 2.25, uh, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I, I mean, I think that that's, uh, you do it in a heartbeat. It's probably more no like brainer. 2.5 and probably uh, not yeah, even so that. What was it? 4 by 2.5? 4 by 2.25. Let, let's call it 4, four by 2.5. I think that's like the lowest you can reasonably even discuss right now for Bunting. Um, yeah, I think that's even too low to reasonably discuss. Like, it, Think about it from his perspective, right? Like, it, This guy's set to cash in at the age of 28 if he just plays out the next this year. This is his year. big deal. Yeah. So like, this is his big deal. You know, as much as he might love being a leaf or whatever, you've got to be offering him enough money to entice him to sign that early and leave that extra year of resume building time 
alone. <laughs> I think it's really one of those situations where he, you've got to like really sell the you're going to be a maple leaf for life. You're going to be remembered as a leaf. You're going to get all that comes with being a leaf after retirement. You're going to get all that shit and you're going to get to play with Austin Matthews. That doesn't happen anywhere else. There, there's, there's value there. And yeah, I mean like I, my, my head originally went to like three or three or four years at like three or four million. Like that kind of feels like what, what he's going well, to get. Well, let's, let's shift it you here. You can offer him like the Mirazik well, let's shift deal. it here. Like would you just give him Kerfoot's money? Or, or yeah, Mirazik's money because oh, 100%. Um, I, I mean like the, the Hyman contract I'm referencing is obviously old numbers and it was a, it was a bargain even then arguably. So um, like you, you account for inflation. Like yeah, it's probably going to be north of three. Um, I, I don't know if I'd want to go much more than four years though to be honest with you because then you're you know you're signing him yeah. into his 30s and four years um, four years three you know I, I think the i think the key for the leafs is, is you have to get him at a price point where it's fine if he's on your third line you know yeah basically we're having the same discussion about michael bunting that we were having about zach hyman and what was the prevailing thought around the time where it became clear that hyman was a goner it was damn i wish the leafs would have got that contract done earlier when they could have got him for three and a half or four rather than it's got to be a this summer thing. Yeah. Basically it's like I said a couple of minutes ago, if you've identified bunting as a player, you want to keep around long-term, you you have to be getting on that as soon as possible. Yep. Um, And I guess the other thing I wanted to touch on just as a continuation of our goaltending discussion, like where are you right now on Campbell? Because, you know, we, we said previously, get it done. (laughs) Like, are you just holding off until the end of the year at this point and seeing how this goes? Um, Because like, I I, I have no interest in like a mid market deal, right? Like, you you know, you don't want to say, oh, well, you know, you kind of, you kind of tailed off towards the end there. Let's let's just drop the AAV by a mil and still sign you for five years. You know, like I, I it's like it's getting to the point where it's like maybe the the term is a short term thing. Like maybe, um, but but like I don't know what the goaltending market is going to look like out there, both from a team and a goalie perspective, right? So maybe he will get big money elsewhere from someone who is willing to overlook kind of the the inconsistencies this season. But like I, I just don't know if you can commit to it at this point. Well, I, I think it kind of shines a light on, you know, everyone was having the discussion earlier on in the season, like get this done, get him signed. And, it, you know, it, it's kind of been a little bit enlightening to, to see what can happen over the course of a season, right? It's a good reminder of just how volatile the goaltending position is and that, you know, it doesn't always apply, but the the saying from Lou Lamarillo, if you have time, use it. I think, you know, given the benefit of some hindsight from what I thought earlier in the season, uh, I think that's kind of been the, the right approach from Dubas to this point. Uh, I think you should drop your anti-labor take on the listeners, Cam. <laughs> well, this is it's very off-brand, but I just I've been saying like you just every time that Campbell gets shelled for like four or five goals, you just you have to call him into your office and slap down a five by eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar contract and just see what he says. He's just he's such a puppy dog. You never know, you know. Um, he might just sign without his agent. There. Yeah, he might just feel bad enough about that night's performance <laughs> that he's just yeah yeah I'll give you my next five years for that. That's that's totally fair on my part in all seriousness though on that note it has been a a nice change of pace to see the way that jack is kind of handling these rough games uh, as opposed to the way that he was handling them earlier on Uh, he was like Mm -hmm. so outwardly hard on himself for every little thing i think that you know it's probably his best path to coming out of this is to to try and be able to shake off those rough goals and rough games a, a little quicker and, and just focus on his game as a whole and, and not let every bad goal live with him and linger on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I think at this point you, you kind of have to ride out the year and, and, and see how it, how it plays out because if this is the way that like, let's say he doesn't kick this and, and he is an eight eighty goalie the rest of the way out, like, are we even can like even if we could get him cheaper? Are you jazzed about that? Like I, 
I think you got to almost start looking at that, other that's it. You could be back well, to square one. That's what Cam is saying. Yeah, like yeah. you could be yeah. back to square yeah. one because you know I think that we we talked about this in the offseason when you signed Mrazic. I, I thought it was kind of an insurance that if if Campbell isn't great or if you can't get a deal done with him, then you've got Mrazic and you know maybe he's a borderline starter and you bring someone else in. But at, at this point, like if if you can't get a deal done with Campbell, you're, you're just you're cleaning house, and I think you're just starting over in goal uh, in the offseason you're, you're back in the trying to find trying to find a trade target like for, like freddie was a few years ago at that exactly. point but i've you know been thinking about like these two guys that we just talked about but the, the player that i can't get a read on how much they're going to cost is sandine yeah and what what they're going to do there because like is he a guy you you go super long term with right now and and i mean i that's probably what i would do and try to yeah. you know I would get him, get him at one of those deals where in three or four years it's a steal, but I have no clue how they're going to handle that because it also makes sense to bridge him to keep his AAV down. Well, th- that's a tricky proposition, right? Because the idea behind trying to sign him to a long term deal is to to keep the AAV a little bit lower. But frankly, their hands are kind of tied there just because the the way that the salary cap is going to shake out for them in the next couple of seasons. I don't think that they're going to have the space. Basically, when you're doing a deal like that, I think it was uh, Matthias Ekholm a, f- a few years back with Nashville, who was kind of a similar situation where they it, it was kind of a surprise to some that he got such a long-term deal, but it was in order to ensure that he was in the organization uh, like with some cost certainty, right? They they knew what he was going to cost them for that entire eight year deal or whatever it was, or six year deal. But in order to do that, you need to have. It's almost like you have to overpay a little bit at the beginning to save a little bit in the back half of the deal. And right now, the Leafs don't really have the capability to, to overpay uh, a young defenseman now for a little bit of reward later. Well, yeah, and like I've been trying to look at some comparables and stuff like that, and like. I, I found Sergachev and I was like, I didn't realize how good Sergachev was to start. Like he had four or three near near forty point seasons before he signed his extension. So like, and he's getting four point eight on three years. So I mean, that's the high water mark. And then I, I honestly don't know. Like it's it's hard to find a comparable or, or, or what you think they might do with this deal. Like I, I can I see the pros and cons to both. I guess. Well, I'm gonna take a little victory lap here because it was a, a couple of years back now when he was initially being called up and it was still the matter of him playing the nine games to burn the first year of his ELC. And there, there was a lot of people who thought it was silly to do so at the time, but I was making the argument that you get him off that ELC a year earlier, he has that much less resume yeah. to be paid for, right? So right now, there's a chance that the Leafs can get Sandine on a two to three or four year bridge deal for cheaper than they would be able to do so at the end of next season right it kind of feels like he's going to break out next year right yeah it kind of feels like next year is going to be his 40 point you know season where he becomes like a legit offensive defenseman that you have to pay for yeah so i think that you know again with a little bit of hindsight having burned that first year of his entry-level deal when they did it has kind of worked out to their benefit right now yeah uh, the last five or ten minutes has just kind of convinced me that we're going to have to have another captain chat uh sometime soon unfortunately um yeah. Uh, the uh yeah the salary um situation is beca- let's just say gord miller might have had a point uh <laughs> wanted to mention a couple other things before we're out here um pwhpa having a uh u.s canada rematch on saturday in pittsburgh should be fun probably won't be quite as intense as the gold medal game um but uh yeah that should, should be a good game on saturday and also saturday i I might have to check this out um this is happening in dartmouth uh talked about this a couple of times in the past but the colored hockey league of the maritimes um they are having a a game like a kind of like a heritage um what they're actually doing is like replaying one of the finals from back in like you know the early 1900s when when this you know league was was in operation and they're having an africville versus churro um game featuring all black players that's happening on saturday if you're in nova scotia it's in dartmouth um at the four pad there um the new new rink in dartmouth so um, i i don't even know the last time i was in the rink it's been a long friggin' time man wouldn't mind it yeah ditto <laughs> yeah i'd love to just go to like a 
I love like I saw there was like a, a senior league that just kicked back up in New Brunswick again. And I'm like, man, I'd love to go watch a bunch of washed up 30 year olds play hockey right now. It'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting pretty sick of watching just games on my computer over and over again, trying to get a read on some of these prospects. I, I'm looking forward to getting back in the rink too. But it's just the, the way everything's gone in the last few months and stuff. It's just it's been too easy to stay home. <laughs> yeah, I miss the rink smells. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fries. Before- right. Yeah, mostly fried food. Before we get going, kind of briefly mentioned the outdoor game against Buffalo on Sunday. We haven't mentioned the Aretna's jerseys at all uh, on the podcast since they've mm-hmm. been revealed. What, what are you guys' thoughts on those? They're fine. They're better than the normal ones, I guess, like the, the last iteration of the of that jersey, I guess. I, I, I don't know. Just I don't really care for Leafs alternate jerseys. It's a, it's a, It's a... I don't know. This is a jersey with so much history, logo, and stuff. Like, I just like to keep it, the, like, I don't know, to the original things. But I like when they do the, the throwback well, stuff. Well, that's the thing. They're kind of trying to paying homage to their history, right? Like, they, they were the arenas before they they were the Leafs. Uh, I, I, in terms of, like, the jerseys that they've worn for their outdoor games, I think this is the best one they've had. That yeah. white abomination from the stadium that series or like the white gloves, white pants, white jersey like that on white ice you know with and it's snowing <laughs> i wouldn't watched i watched the highlights of that game the other day and i was like i first of all don't remember this happening and second of all this was awful aesthetically terrible and you, the the ones from the was it a heritage classic against detroit at the big house that time the the blue ones with the white center stripe behind the logo those are awful too i, I think it, yeah in terms of the, the it was the winter the winter classic one wasn't bad that was probably the the only one that was palatable i guess like the only thing i don't like about this one is and it's part of what i guess i think some people do like and i did like it at first but i feel like watching it on the players on the broadcast is different than just looking at the screenshot of the jersey but i don't think i love the blue on blue text like, i feel like making that a, a little bit more visible would have been a little bit better while we're talking jerseys then we should mention the newfoundland and growlers uh did their own kind of take on the saint pats and it's slick uh shared it on our social media pages instagram twitter if you want to check it out there you can follow us on twitter at lamenting leafs and uh, follow each of us on Twitter as well. You can find our tags. You can find our handles in the uh, show notes. Uh, gentlemen, we'll do it again soon when Austin Matthews has 50. 